Book One, Chapter Four of Toussaint L'Ouverture, A Biography and Autobiography. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Toussaint L'Ouverture, A Biography and Autobiography by John Relly Baird. Book One, Chapter Four. Family, Birth, and Education of Toussaint L'Ouverture, His Promotions in Servitude, His Marriage, Reads Reynal, and Begins to Think Himself the Providentially Appointed Liberator of His Oppressed Brethren. In the midst of these conflicting passions and threatening disorders, there was a character quietly forming, which was to do more than all others, first to gain the mastery of them, and then to conduct them to issues of a favorable nature this superior mind gathered its strength and matured its purposes in a class of haitian society where least of all ordinary men would have looked for it who could suppose that the liberator of the slaves of haiti and the great type and pattern of negro excellence existed and toiled in one of the despised gangs that pined away on the plantations of the island the appearance of a hero of negro blood was ardently to be wished as affording the best proof of negro capability by what other than a negro hand could it be expected that the blow would be struck which should show to the world that africans could not only enjoy but gain personal and social freedom to the more deep-sighted the progress of events and the inevitable tendencies of society had darkly indicated the coming of a negro liberator the presentment found expression in the works of the abbe reynal who predicted that a vindicator of negro wrongs would ere long arise out of the bosom of the negro race that prediction had its fulfillment in toussaint l'ouverture toussaint was a negro we wish emphatically to mark the fact that he was wholly without white blood whatever he was and whatever he did he achieved all in virtue of qualities which in kind are common to the african race though of negro extraction Toussaint, if we may believe family traditions, was not of common origin. His great-grandfather is reported to have been an African king of the Arradas tribe. The Arradas were a powerful tribe of Negroes, eminent for mental resources, and of an indomitable will, who occupied a part of western Africa. In a plundering expedition undertaken by a neighboring tribe, a son of the chief of the Arradas, was made captive. His name was Gauguinot. Sold to slave-dealers, he was conveyed to Haiti, and became the property of the Comte de Breda, who owned a sugar manufactory some two miles from Cap Francois. More fortunate than most of his race in their servitude, he found among his fellow-slaves countrymen by whom he was recognized, and from whom he received tokens of the respect which they judged due to his rank. The Comte de Breda was a humane man, and entrusted his slaves to none but humane superintendents. At the time, the plantation of the Comte de Breda was directed by Monsieur Bayot de Libertas, a Frenchman of mild character, who, contrary to the general practice, studied his employer's interests, without overloading his hands with immoderate labor. Under him, Gauguinot was less unhappy than his companions in misfortune. 
it is not known that his master was aware of his superior position in his native country but facts stated by isaac one of toussaint l'ouverture's sons make the supposition not improbable his grandfather he reports enjoyed full liberty on the estates of his master he was also allowed to employ five slaves to cultivate a portion of land which had been assigned to him he became a member of the catholic church the religion of the rulers of western haiti and married a woman who was not only virtuous but beautiful the husband and the wife died at nearly the same time leaving five male children and three female the eldest of his sons was toussaint l'ouverture these particulars illustrative of the superiority of toussaint's family are neither without interest nor without importance if strictly speaking virtues are not transmissible virtuous tendencies and certainly intellectual aptitudes may pass from parents to children and the facts now narrated may serve to show how it was that toussaint was not sunk in that mental stagnation and moral depravity of which slavery is commonly the parent the exact day and year of toussaint's birth are not known it is said to have been the twentieth of may seventeen forty three footnote it is not improbable that toussaint was born on all saints day and derived his name from that fact editor End of footnote. what is of more importance is that he lived fifty years of his life in slavery before he became prominent as the vindicator of his brethren's rights in that long space he had full time to become acquainted with their sufferings as well as their capabilities and to form such deliberate resolutions as when the time for action came should not be likely to fail of effect yet does it seem a late period in a man's life for so great an undertaking nor could any one endowed with inferior powers have approached to the accomplishment of the task throughout his arduous and perilous career toussaint l'ouverture found great support himself and exerted great influence over others in virtue of his deep and pervading sense of religion we might almost declare that from that source he derived more power than from all others the foundation of his religious sentiments was laid in his childhood there lived in the neighborhood of the gao guinot family a black esteemed for the purity and probity of his character and who was not devoid of knowledge his name was pierre baptiste he was acquainted with french and had a smattering of latin as well as some notions of geometry for his education he was indebted to the goodness of one of those missionaries who in preaching the morality of a divine religion enlighten and enlarge the minds of their disciples pierre baptiste became the godfather of toussaint and therefore thought it his duty to communicate to him the instructions and impressions he had received from his own religious teacher continuing to speak his native african tongue which was used in his family toussaint acquired from his godfather some acquaintance with the french and aided by the services of the catholic church made a few steps in the knowledge of the latin with a love of country which ancestral recollections and domestic intimacies cherished he took pleasure in reverting to the traditional histories of the land of his sires from these pierre baptiste labored to direct his young mind and heart to loftier and purer examples consecrated in the records of the christian church this course of instruction was of greater value than any skill in the outward processes 
which are too commonly identified with education. The young Negro, however, seems to have made some progress in the arts of reading, writing, and drawing. A scholar, in the higher sense of the term, he never became, and at an advanced period of life, when his knowledge was great and various, he regarded the instruction which he received in boyhood as very inconsiderable. Undoubtedly, in the pure and noble inspirations of his moral nature, Toussaint had instructors far more rich in knowledge and impulse than any pedagogue could have been. Yet in his youth were the foundations laid in external learning of value to the man, the general, and the legislator. It is true that in the composition of his letters and addresses he enjoyed the assistance of a cultivated secretary. Nevertheless, if the form was another's, the thought was his own, nor would he allow a document to pass from his hands until, by repeated perusals and numerous corrections, he had brought the general tenor, and each particular expression, into conformity with his own thoughts, and his own purpose. Nor is there required anything more than an attentive reading of his extant compositions, to be assured of the superior mental powers with which he was endowed. In his mature years, and in the days of his great conflict, Toussaint possessed an iron frame and a stout arm. Capable of almost any amount of labor and endurance, he was terrible in battle, and rarely struck without deadly effect. Yet in his childhood he was weak and infirm to such a degree that for a long time his parents doubted of being able to preserve his existence. So delicate was his constitution that he received the descriptive appellation of Fatras Baton, which might be rendered in English by Little Lath. But with increase of years, the stripling hardened and strengthened his frame by the severest labors and the most violent exercises. At the age of twelve, he surpassed all his equals in the plantation in bodily feats. The duty of the young slaves was definite and uniform. They were entrusted with the care of the flocks and herds. As a solitary and moral occupation, a shepherd's life gives time and opportunity for tranquil meditation. By nature, Fatras Baton was given to thought. His reflective and taciturn disposition found appropriate nutriment on the rich uplands and under the brilliant skies of the land of his birth. Accustomed to think much more than he spoke, he acquired not only self-control, but also the power of concentrated reflection and concise speech, which, late in life, was one of his most marked and most serviceable characteristics. Pastoral occupations are favorable to an acquaintance with vegetable products. Toussaint's father, like other Africans, was familiar with the healing virtues of many plants. These the old man explained to his son, whose knowledge expanded in the monotonous routine of his daily task. Thus did he obtain a rude familiarity with simples, of which he afterward made a practical application. In this period, when the youth was passing into the man, and when, as with all thoughtful persons, the mind becomes sensitively alive to things to come as well as to things present, Toussaint may have formed the first dim conception of the misery of servitude and the need of a liberator. At present he lived with his fellow-sufferers in those narrow, low, and foul huts where regard to decency was impossible. He heard the twang of the driver's whip and saw the blood streaming from the negro's body. 
he witnessed the separation of parents and children and was made aware by too many proofs that in slavery neither home nor religion could accomplish its purposes not impossibly then it was at this time that he first discerned the image of a distant duty rising before his mind's eye and as the future liberator unquestionably lay in his soul the latent thought may at times have started forth and for a moment occupied his consciousness the means indeed do not exist by which we may certainly ascertain when he conceived the idea of becoming the avenger of his people's wrongs but several intimations point to an early period in his life his good conduct in his pastoral engagements procured for him an advancement bayeux de libertas convinced of his diligence and fidelity made him his coachman this was an office of importance in the eyes of the slaves certainly it was one which brought some comfort and some means of self-improvement though toussaint became every day more and more aware that he was a slave and experienced many of the evils of his condition yet with the aid of religion he avoided a murmuring spirit and wisely employed his opportunities to make the best of the position in which he had been born without however yielding to the degrading notion that his hardships were irremediable sustained by a sense of duty which was even stronger than his hope of improving his condition he performed his daily task in a composed if not a contented spirit and so constantly won the confidence of the overseer the result was his promotion to a place of trust he was made steward of the implements employed in sugar-making arrived at adult age toussaint began to think of marriage his race at large he saw living in concubinage as a religious man he was forbidden by his conscience to enter into such a relation as a humane man he shrunk from the numerous evils which he knew concubinage entailed whom should he choose already had he risen above the silly preferences of form and feature reality he wanted and the only real good in a wife he was assured lay in good sense good feeling and good manners these qualities he found in a widow well skilled in husbandry a house-slave in the plantation the kind-hearted and industrious suzanne became his lawful wife according to god's holy ordinance and the law of the land by a man of color suzanne had had a son named placida obeying the generous impulses of his heart toussaint adopted the youth who ever retained the most lively sense of gratitude toward his benefactor toussaint was now a happy man considering his condition as a slave the husband of a slave a very happy man his position gave him privileges and he had a heart to enjoy them his leisure hours he employed in cultivating a garden which he was allowed to call his own in those pleasing engagements he was not without a companion we went he said to a traveller we went to labour in the fields my wife and i hand in hand scarcely were we conscious of the fatigues of the day heaven always blessed our toil not only we swam in abundance but we had the pleasure of giving food to blacks who needed it on the sabbath and on festival days we went to church my wife my parents and myself returning to our cottage after a pleasant meal we passed the remainder of the day as a family and we closed it by prayer in which all took part thus can religion convert a desert into a garden 
and make a slave's cabin the abode of the purest happiness on earth bent as toussaint was on the improvement of his condition he yet did not employ the personal property which ensued from his own and his wife's thrift in purchasing his liberty and elevating himself and family into the higher class of men of color his reasons for remaining a slave are not recorded he may have felt no attractions toward a class whose superiority was more nominal than real he may have resolved to remain in a class whose emancipation he hoped some day to achieve the virtues of his character procured for toussaint universal respect he was esteemed and loved even by the free blacks the great planters held him in consideration his intellectual faculties ripened under the effects of his intercourse with free and white men as he grew in mind and became large of heart he was more and more puzzled and distressed with the institution of slavery he could in no way understand how the hue of the skin should put so great a social and personal distance between men whom god he saw had made essentially the same and whom he knew to be useful if not indispensable to each other naturally he asked himself what others had thought and said of slavery he had heard passages recited from Raynal. he procured the work he read therein passages that eloquently told him of his rights and with fiery zeal denounced his oppressor he read and became the vindicator of negro freedom footnote the editor has here omitted a long extract from Raynal, illustrative of his style which however loses its interest when we read that some parts which breathe too much the spirit of revenge have been softened or omitted in the translation this is the only passage in it that deserves to be retained the last argument employed to justify slavery says that slavery is the only way of conducting the negroes to eternal blessedness by means of christian baptism mild and loving jesus could you have foreseen that your benign maxims would be employed to justify so much horror if the christian religion thus authorized avarice in governments it would be necessary forever to proscribe its dogmas in order to overturn the edifice of slavery to what tribunal shall we carry the cause of humanity kings refuse the seal of your authority to the infamous traffic which converts men into beasts but what do i say let us look somewhere else if self-interest alone prevails with nations and their masters there is another power nature speaks in louder tones than philosophy or self-interest already are there established two colonies of fugitive negroes whom treaties and power protect from assault those lightnings announce the thunder a courageous chief only is wanted where is he that great man whom nature owes to her vexed oppressed and tormented children where is he he will appear doubt it not he will come forth and raise the sacred standard of liberty this venerable signal will gather around him the companions of his misfortune more impetuous than the torrents they will everywhere leave the indelible traces of their just resentment everywhere people will bless the name of the hero who shall have re-established the rights of the human race everywhere will they raise trophies in his honor these eloquent words says dr baird must have produced a deep and pervading impression on a mind so susceptible as that of toussaint here reason and feeling 
were harmonized into one awful appeal here philosophy joined with common sense and common justice to proclaim negro wrongs and to call for a negro vindicator that call toussaint heard he heard its voice in his inmost soul he heard it there first in low reverberations he heard it there at last in sounds of thunder dwelling on those principles pondering those words consulting his own heart and reflecting on his own condition he came in time to feel that he was the man here designated and that in the designation there was a call from providence which he dared not disregard but the time was not yet end of footnote end of book one chapter four recording by james k white chula vista